Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Review Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Dave Lands and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. There we go. And this is the podcast <laughs> where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. On today's episode, we are talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 film, Magnolia. Magnolia. If you want to reach us on the web, you can do so at reviewedpodcast.com, at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. No. Yeah. Contact at reviewpodcast.com. No, I don't need a cookie. Thank you. These are chocolates these are provided chocolates. by my, my wife. Multi-flavored chocolates. Did my you, wife ho- did you home make these chocolates? No, these are uh, my, my sister-in-law is getting married. It was a bridal shower. Oh, and they had... Uh, and we have chocolates. Nice. I'll have one later. Yeah. And David's just doing it for the Foley effect right now. <laughs> He's not actually eating chocolate. He's playing a sound effect of himself uh, eating chocolate. That's actually not Dave eating chocolate. It's him with a coconut bouncing it on a uh, table. Well, I mean, last somebody week... somebody chewing chocolate. <laughs> last week I was pouring bourbon, and this week I'm munching on chocolate. So getting at the task at hand, we are going to discuss the movie Magnolia by Paul Thomas Anderson. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a line to you from an opera. I want you to give me that line back in the language in which the opera was originally written. And for a bonus 250, uh, you can sing it. I'm Stanley Spector. There is the story of a boy genius. Roy Catherine, Thomas Kidd, Jean-Baptiste Beauclamelier. And the game show host. And Jimmy Gator. Live from Burbank, California. First question for 25. This French playwright and actor joined the Béjar troupe of actors. And the ex-boy genius. I'm Chris Kidani Smith. I used to be smart, now I'm just stupid. There is the story of the dying man. I'm Earl Partridge. I have a son, you know. You do? Uh, find him. I'm Frank T.J. Mackey. His lost son. What did he say? Because I am not going to take care of him. What does he want? And the dying man's wife. I'm Linda Partridge. I took care of him through this album. What now then? Me and him. Do you understand? There's no one else. No one else. The caretaker. No, no. I'm Phil Parma. See, this is uh, the scene of the movie where you help me out. And there is the story of a mother. I'm Rose Gator. You come home soon after the show. I love you. And the daughter. I'm Claudia Wilson Gator. Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? And the police officer in law. I'm Officer Jim Curring. Just to give a little bit of setup, uh, this film uh, came out after he released Boogie Nights, which was the film that kind of launched him in the stratosphere of of, uh, Boogie Nights. Right. Uh, of, of filmmakers to watch. It's his third film. His first is a movie called Heart Eight or mm-hmm. Sydney. Yeah. Um, and With this movie. And this movie is a three-hour epic about intertwining characters, all taking place in the San Bernardino Valley of Los Angeles. Um, so that's basically that's the best way I can describe it in the most simplistic form. Yeah, because mm-hmm. to go into the plot is pretty. Because uh, it starts getting kind of in the weeds. It, it talks about they got just uh, a couple different people's lives and the way they intersect and uh, exactly and how they affect one another and it talks about chance and coincidence and mm-hmm. all of that. Now this movie is interesting for a variety of reasons. One, um, and I'm glad you wanted to finally see it, Mike, because I haven't rewatched it since I first saw it, like back in 2003 or four or something wow. like that. So it's been a while. And when I not watched, in theaters, you didn't see it in theaters. No, in mm-hmm. fact, I don't think this movie did very well in theaters. I think mm-hmm. it was. Uh, this is a hard sell. Uh, <laughs> but um, when I first saw it, I was very, very impressed by it, and I think I deemed it my favorite movie of all time when I first saw it. Huh. When I first saw it in college. Um, and I don't know if that was really impressionable or I just hadn't seen anything like this before. Um, but the way I we, – we've talked a lot on this this podcast about what's the difference between a movie and a film. Mm-hmm. And a movie like Magnolia, I don't think there's any hiding. This is this is something that is setting out to be a film. A film yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the from beginning to end. So, you know, starting out with you, Mike, who I, I think this is the first time you're seeing this movie, yep. correct? Yep. Do you think it succeeds – at being a film. I think that's the, the uh, be, just to kind of start us off. Yeah. I, I, okay. So I'll say this. I don't, I don't think it's a perfect film. Um, I think there's a lot of issues with, I think pacing for sure. I don't think it needs to be three hours. I don't think you can cut out a lot of dialogue. It's dialogue. It's very repetitive in places. Mm-hmm. It drags, a lot of scenes drag out. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like long scenes. I like when they, I just felt like it was a bit much. And the thing is, the some of the, like the language was just like abrasive, just irritating over and over and over again. Um, that being said, uh, I I absolutely think it, it, it succeeds in being a film. Um, it is a little bit like trying to be a film. It's a little heavy handed. How are we defining places. a film, by the way? I mean, I know what I, so. I, I always think of it. Movie is something that's entertaining. Like right. I would say something like Inception is more movie than film. If there's mm-hmm. more action, it, tends so, to be. I think things that are more thoughtful, less 
Mm-hmm. I think the, uh, I mean, the most pretentious answer I They speak to I the can... human condition and what it means to be... Yeah, going on that, I think the most pretentious thing I can say is that a film is striving to be art, a movie is striving to be entertainment. Right, Does exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, this is definitely striving to be art. That's, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, as I mentioned... And why not? It's an interwoven tale that talks about all... Okay, so... I once heard in a podcast, I can't remember, it was a long time ago, when they were talking about Magnolia, and the way the person was talking about it was, if I was an a- um, trying to show an alien all about the human condition and about emotion and what, what rep- <laughs> like, how to define humanity, I make the alien sit down and watch Magnolia, hmm. is how he would phrase it. Hmm. Because this movie doesn't have an A to B plot. There's no... There's a lot of minute. There's a lot of interconnected stories that you know that happen to various people, but it's about forgiveness and redemption and all these kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's that is the reason why one of the, I, I like I loved it. I, I, at the end so of you the movie, actually did love the movie. when I finished it. I felt good, which doesn't happen very often after a movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, it felt like it affected me. Um, this might be his most uplifting movie. I would say Paul Thomas. Anderson. I would hope so, he hasn't geez, made that yeah. many. I would actually say it's his only movie where his main characters actually have humanity. <laughs> you right. know, well, Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Seen, yeah, 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 you're right. Boogie yeah. Nights does. I, I think that they get consi- continually more misanthropic as mm-hmm. you. Well, actually, Punch Trunk Love. Actually, yeah. totally defies that. Yeah. But you start getting into stuff like there will be blood and the master, mm. and that's just yeah. an experiment in like sociopaths. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, his filmmaking—he definitely took a turn after Punch Drunk Love. And you can uh, see but, the roots for that in this movie with the uh, Frank T. J. Mackey character and all that. But yeah, um, yeah. sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's Keep okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's the thing. I, I like this movie so much because I think I, I am used to movies being so cynical and dark. And for a movie that starts out that way, I mean, I definitely mm-hmm. think it starts in a really cynical, really dark place. Um, it ends up on a really like hopeful, redemptive note. I feel like every single character, no one is like, I don't. I, I thought they were going to kill off a couple of characters, and everyone kind of survives, and everyone has an opportunity to kind of change their life for the better. And yeah, I think, nobody dies, I think. Right. Well, the, um, the, okay, so the let me try well, to for the body me, in the closet in the beginning. Let me let me break down the amount of characters, and you guys can help me out. Um, here are the characters that I, I wrote them down. I did my best. There's. Uh, uh, Donnie Smith, played by William H. Macy, who mm-hmm. is in... Uh, Reprising his role from Fargo, basically. <laughs> who's, well. who's playing an aging child uh, television star who used to be on this quiz show mm-hmm. uh, called What Do Kids Know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was his claim to fame. There's a character of Earl who mm-hmm. is dying from cancer on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. He is married to Julianne Moore's character, um, who's his wife who uh, married him for the money and now has since fallen in love with him. Yeah, like, and, that was a good choice. And um, she feels regretful for her decisions uh, to marry him in the first place. There is Earl's son, his estranged son, Frank T.J. Mackey, played by Tom Cruise, who is a womanizer who a hawks... raving, raging misogynist. Who, yes. who hawks a series... Uh, basically, it's like an advanced version of um, Tony Robbins, like, like the pickup artist. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like the pickup artist idea taken to the most misogynistic degree. There's Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Phil Parma, who mm-hmm. plays Earl's nurse, mm-hmm. who is taking care of him. There's John C. Riley, who plays Jim, a cop mm-hmm. in the Los Angeles area. There's, Loved him. There's uh, Jimmy Gator, played by Philip Baker Hall, who plays the host of this quiz show that's still on the air. What do kids know? Uh, there is the kid who's currently on the quiz show, Stanley, yeah. who is basically the young version of William H. Macy's character, right. Donnie Smith. Mm-hmm. And I believe the, uh, Claudia is the last major major character, I feel. And she is Philip Gator's uh, daughter. Yeah. Who, and she is um, repressing some emotional angst against her father for past things. Is and that, is a cocaine is, addict. Is that, mm. And is a cocaine addict. <laughs> Small <yeah>. detail. <laughs> is that all the major characters? Am I, missing I think any? so. I think I, you got them I, all. I, Thank you. I don't think it's funny because the way you you list them, I was actually listing them from the top. So I was thinking like it's really about these two patriarchs. So you have Jimmy Gator and you have the guy and the host of the show and you have uh, Earl Partridge, who's the guy who owns the I don't know. The network or something. Oh, I didn't really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, okay. so yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of it all really kind of centers around this game show and these two patriarchs and the people that kind of like are connected to the uh, two of them. And the other kind of uh, extraneous character that does make an appearance, and I think more of his story was cut out when I was reading about the movie. It's um, the little um, kid, the mm-hmm. rapper kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. also uh, pivotal in the movie for a variety of reasons, and I believe. His whole sub story was actually cut a lot from the movie to cut it down for time, which is crazy. Surprising, considering it's a three-hour... Because it's a three-hour epic movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's also one of the characters. I don't know his name off the top of my head. Let's talk about him later. I want to talk about his rap. Apparently he reveals information. He does, and I still... Even knowing that going in, I still didn't quite pick up on it when I was really trying to concentrate. <laughs> yeah. Did you read up on any like analyses of it? Like, no, I didn't. I, I just know uh, that's a pivotal part of the film. 
Um, I'm actually surprised to hear you say you loved it, Mike, because I thought you were going to find it really too pretentious for you. Mm-hmm. And because Magnolia is a movie that can really divide people. Yeah. Um, and the way I look at this film is that in its efforts to be so film-like, you can almost look at it, some of it as being a little bit... And, and that's why I say it's not a... Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I did that. You go... You, you know what I'm saying, so yeah, go yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... And that's why I say it's not perfect. There's certain things I think that are pretentious. Like the, the whole scene of them, like, lip-syncing the music in the car or, like, in, in their various roles. I'm like, that was annoying. I'm like, what is... Come on, what is this? I uh, see. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, it's, it's too... It's like... It's breaking the fourth wall. It's too, like... There's a lot of breaking it's, it's the fourth the wall. It's the director smelling his own farts is what that is. <laughs> I think I'm more on the Dave side. I think that scene works for me, but um, I mean, it works for me at the time. But looking back on it, like I almost forgot about it. And I was looking back, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, just tell your story. Stop. Um, but the profundity of what's happening hit people versus like trying to manufacture it through things. I don't know. Whatever. I, I, it's not a huge deal for me. Um, and I, I just, I, I don't know. I liked, I liked the the hopeful nature. Well, two things, three things actually. I loved about it is like the hopeful nature of it. The fact that it ends with um, people at a chance of redemption and kind of a. a, a a point where they can look at themselves and kind of say like, all right, what am I doing here? Do I want to kind of keep going on this path? Do I want to try to fix what I'm doing? I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like, the, so the raining of the frogs thing, at first, mm-hmm. I, when I first watched it, I'm like, what the hell? Is, this is ridiculous. What are they? And then I just got it. Like, I so, think the whole uh, movie wh- kind of builds around. Yeah, so, so yeah, in the third why don't act. Why you explain the third act? <laughs> sorry, in the third act, um, in, in, in a climax of sorts, so basically when everyone kind of hits rock bottom, I think it's almost like uh it's a, um, That's a good I think everybody kind of hits some bottom. kind of a problem for each of them in their, in their own various lives. There's a rain of frogs where frogs just start falling out of the sky, um, destroying property, cars, mm-hmm. hitting people. And it just, it's this absurd situation. And, and but it, it's a very practical way they show it. They're like, if frogs were to fall out of the sky, how would it, how would some it of happen? them would still be yeah. living. Some of them would like be bloody on your windshield. Yeah, yeah. But break a lot of things. It kind of like, it, it, it's a, it marks a shift in everybody's. Uh, lies at that point. Right. What's interesting is in the movie I'm watching, I'm like, this is ridiculous. This, this wouldn't happen, right? But think about it. it that's it. So <laughs> yeah, hang on. Probably not. Pro- well, probably not, but it's possible. And I remember I was, I was reading up on it and they said like there's, it that has happened. There's been reports of it happening and the scientific scientific explanation behind it is that there's like a water spout somewhere which is essentially like a water tornado mm-hmm. sucks a bunch of frogs much like the scuba diver in the beginning of the much movie much like a sharknado if you a will. Shark- a sharknado <laughs> so, so, so to speak. <laughs> so, we could suck up a bunch of frogs and just drop them in one area. So, I mean, I'm sure to this extent, it's probably not as, I don't know if there's like billions of frogs as portrayed in the movie, right? But the concept is there, right? It's biblical. There's a plague of frogs in the book of Exodus, which Exodus is, makes an appearance at a couple different places in the movie. You got, there's a couple biblical biblical references with Solomon and Solomon. And, yeah. oh, and there's a whole bunch of other yeah. little things. There's like a sign called Exodus. Is oh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of like uh the pa- there's a passage from uh the bible there's a couple of passages from, eight yeah. two or something yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from genesis i think and exodus, I exodus, 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 exodus yeah. okay uh yeah so there's so, so a references to that yeah and i think the point they're trying to make is that which i liked is that like like nothing is impossible like these they, they kind of highlight strange coincidences redemption coincidences. is possible redemption mm-hmm. is possible just mm-hmm. insane like call them miracles call them coincidence in the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie they talk about all those insane coincidences that happen right they they zoom in on that painting that says like uh, but it really happens so the right. concept of like these things actually have happened and and crazy stuff happens like again the idea of like hope and the fact that like insane stuff can can fortuitous uh, and maybe not so fortuitous coincidences can occur. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that about it. Again, it was another hopeful note, which I don't find very often. I liked I liked mm-hmm. that. And then the third thing I loved is just uh, John C. Riley, his character, yeah. his character and John C. Riley's portrayal of his character. Mm-hmm. I loved I, th- right. I just, he's just so like, God, he's just a good guy. He's just a good, you know, he's, yeah. kind of, he's like, he's not perfect. He's a, kind of like a bumbling idiot a little bit, but just I think the character yeah. and the way he deals with people and, the way he deals with the little kid and the language, and he's like, "Whoa, buddy, I don't, I don't need that language." There's something <laughs> yeah. about him just very endearing. Yeah, and he's a, this, you know, by the book, he's this good Christian boy, and he, mm-hmm. you know, he's so intent on doing good. And I like the just juxtaposition of him being paired up with a cocaine addict, and, mm-hmm. and just how he's going to handle that, and how well he handles it. And mm-hmm. I just, I was just like, "Yeah, life is good. People are ultimately good. Everything's all going to be okay." It's yeah. So Dave, I, I kind of you can finally you can finally jump in here. Dave, are you a um, P.T. Anderson fan? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and where does Magnolia fall on your list of his movies? If you were to rank spectrum. them on your P.T. Anderson spectrum, how does Magnolia? Oh, that's fare? a good question. I would say maybe that's why you asked it. Maybe third, I would say. I mean, I, I, behind, I, I, uh, behind I, I, Boogie Nights, I would put uh, There Will Be Blood, Boogie Nights, and Magnolia in oh, that order. God. I think that's interesting. There um, Will Be Blood, really? I've heard at the top. 
Yes, that's a me. mixed bag. I, I would. Put, I haven't seen it, but uh, well, I, I would not. I, I would disagree with those opinions. But mm. um, for for me, there will be blood. Was uh, uh, yeah, his his best movie. But I would go with Punch Drunk Love higher than all of them. But okay. I would like to see them. That's that's a, that's a bold next. that's a bold choice. And Just I, because I think it's his most I don't restrained dis- movie. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't dislike any of his movies. I think that uh, all of his movies are. Um, are works of uh, passion, personal, intimate movies, and and Magnolia is probably uh, the most. Uh, I, th- I think uh, in an interview I heard him say that uh, he basically said everything he wants to say about life at that point. At least he was probably about thirty, thirty-one, something like that. He he said in Magnolia. I think he and even so, said like for better or worse, Magnolia is probably and, the best and, movie I'm ever going to make, something like that. And then yeah, he went on yeah. and made an Adam Sandler movie, which is like, let's see what I can do with an Adam Sandler movie. And then he just <laughs> and then he just kind of took a break, and then he made a masterpiece. There, there will be blood. So I mean, it's like um, he, he's had an interesting career. And at this time, I I, I remember I had seen uh, Boogie Nights in theaters, and uh, that, I thought that was a great movie. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, so everybody was looking forward to Magnolia. I went and saw it on opening night. Um, you saw Magnolia on opening night? I used to see a lot of movies on opening night. I just, mm-hmm. I think you're the only guy that did that. How many uh, well, there were people theater? with me. Did you do there were people showing? with me. Did you dress up as characters? <laughs> I think, I think I went Magnolia. with my family and my ex, and we all uh, went to Boogie Night. And it was actually uh, relatively, I don't oh. want to sold out, but I mean, it was Magnolia. It was a little theater in Pittsburgh, and we saw it, and it was. Uh, well, when you're at Pittsburgh, well, I mean, what is there to do out there? Yeah, I know. I don't know. It's just you know, hills and guns and <laughs> steels. A whole lot of steel, bridges. There's like steel. 15 bridges in bridges. there. And in that opening night experience, did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. I think I probably enjoyed it. Um, I was more in the same same uh, with your reaction. I, I had a reaction where I thought this movie is amazing. This movie could be life changing. And I don't know if I view it that way now. Um, it's uh, there was there was another movie that came out about ten years prior called Shortcuts that Robert Altman made. Yep. And it and it's an, and and before that there were like I don't know twenty years before that there was Nashville. So there's a, there's these kind of every so often you see these movies pop up that are like mosaics of. Of characters, there's a movie called Grand Canyon that does a similar Grand thing. Grand Canyon, right, with Kevin Klein and, and Danny Glover. So there's like a bunch of these movies where they don't focus just on one story; it focuses on a bunch of stories and how they're all interconnected. And maybe the most famous of them now is Crash, which is not a good movie, but it won Best Picture. See, Crash, I thought was very similar to this movie. It is like very, it, it is very similar. Characters that come together, and it's like everyone kind of makes the right choice. And yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's you know, but Crash. The thing is, Crash has a bad reputation because. It won Best Picture, and it's not that great of a movie. And it won Best Picture over Brokeback Mountain, which people now kind of consider a masterpiece, I, I think, at least closer to a masterpiece. And, uh, and, you know, and a lot of people really hate Crash, but it's not that it's not that different in a lot of ways. It even uses the same Amy Mann song, uh, Wise Up, at one point. Oh, really? I, don't, I, I don't, didn't even know that. Yeah, they, it does. And they don't sing along with it. But, uh, Damn right. But Damn right, uh, all, all the Amy Mann songs were, were written and performed for Magnolia. And a lot of it almost seems inspired by uh, by Amy Mann's songs. If you listen to the soundtrack, I used to have the soundtrack. I used to listen to it a lot. I'd, so I've seen this movie a few times. I hadn't seen it in a long time when I watched it uh, this weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I think at this point I probably admire more than enjoy it. I mean, it, when I saw it before, it really caused kind of this visceral, emotional, almost panicky reaction. I mean, the opening... Th- Scene, not not the, um, the the scene where Ricky Jay is describing the, the coincidences, scene, yeah. but once you get into the Amy Mann song where she does her cover of one and one is his lonely, loneliest yeah, number, yeah. and you see it's just like a constant uh, dolly Zoom, shot yeah, zooming zooms, in. It's almost zooms, this, that yeah. opening sequence, and I'm glad you brought it, it up. Almost gave me like when I first saw it, it almost gave me like a little panic attack. You know, because I can't hear anything they're saying. The music is too damn loud, and it I, they're saying, oh my God. Key. "All right, old man." I'm just what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that it's no. just the intensity of the editing and. Yeah, I was going to say, like, just from a strict filmmaking standpoint, like, that's P.T. Anderson just putting every weapon he has, yeah. like, at the viewer. He's he's firing, like, there are steady cam shots, the way he cuts between scenes, mm. the way that... Whip the pans. long pans, the long, uh, just, the no-take the, shots. The, the, yeah. the, I don't even know how you plan to edit a sequence like that. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, com- the complexity of that sequence mm-hmm. alone, because he's establishing everything yeah. that, that, that comes to follow. And um, mm-hmm. I agree with you, Dave. I started like I, I it, it's 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 almost intense like an action sequence is right, just the right. way it's shot so right. it's a very interesting way to start a movie. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I mean, so I mean, ultimately, my takeaway is that you know I kind of felt similar to Mike at the end. I'm like, this movie is like a, a it does kind of make you feel good in a lot of ways. I mean, you see it, and it is nice to see all these characters who hit rock bottom, who are able to find redemption. Um, and I also saw it a little differently in that uh, I felt like. I was like, I, I was kind of digging more into it and thinking, this is really a movie about uh, 
parents and children and their relationships oh, well, and the consequences yes, of that. Yes. I, didn't, I, I don't know. For whatever reason, I didn't really think about that. I just thought about all the characters and their problems. And now I really realize that as a it was, parent now, you're it's essentially yeah, really, yeah, I guess maybe as a parent now, it's really about, um, you know, the decisions you make in life and how they affect your children. I, I think I feel like that's I a very, it's a very focused, I mean, because everything in some way it's, it's relationships in general, but there's a lot of parent, I mean, with rightly so, I mean, it's, I think the most formative, um, the relationships you have in life is for the most part, your parents mm-hmm. and like, and your children. Like, I right. think like that is highlighted very strongly because right. of that. Yeah. There's not a lot of like sibling relationships in this movie. It's all like fathers no, and right. sons and mothers and daughters fathers, and daughters. Yeah. yeah. And stuff like that. No, that's a good point. So, yeah. yeah. It's definitely a, a nurses parental relationship. and old men. Well, yeah. You know, Tom Cruise talking about his junk. <laughs> Tom Cruise running around yeah. in briefs. And we, it's just, it's, just a brief mention to say that at this point in Tom Cruise's career, he was still kind of, he wasn't seen how he is now, where he, you know, he he had his crazy couch jumping. Yeah, a crazy Scientologist. I guy. think he wasn't acting in this movie at all. I think yeah. he was well, reciting it, words. It's almost like it's a weird deconstruction way, of his of his actual uh, real life persona or something, and then and then it just kind of exploded years later when he just he First, couldn't hold it. He in loved anymore. it so much. He was <laughs> First like, off. Tom Cruise is great. In this yes, movie. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. fantastic. And um, I hear people say, "Oh, well, he's got the showiest role, so of course you're going to notice him." Agreed. He has the showiest role but by could, far. Could, could other people? But have done damn, it as does well. he kill it? He yeah. kills this mm-hmm. movie. Because I don't know mm-hmm. if you could have people that would be able to pull it off as well as he did. My favorites. I mean, he has my favorite uh, line in the whole movie. Actually, it comes from him. I'm quietly judging it's you. The best line in the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's love, what I say every every time I went on a date. That's how they should. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> what, 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 just the way it would. This zoom. guy is not talking to me. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm quietly judging you. Uh, but <laughs> that's the there's better the intensity. Yeah, maybe it's just the it's the the, the music. Intensity it, of it. There's yeah. um the music the the way that the backing music slowly zooming on him and you can see. So do you want to set that up? When does he when does he say? Yeah. So this character. Um, well, maybe I should back up a little bit. Um, um, Mike, your favorite character was Phil. I'm uh, not Philip Seymour Hoffman. Was uh, John C. Riley? I did character. like him, but yeah, John C. Riley, I think is my. my Dave, yeah. who's your favorite character? Huh. Or most interesting? Honestly, I mean, my, my gut reaction is to say Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Actually, the nurse. He's like the one truly decent person in the movie. I would say. I would argue. Oh that come jo- on! I don't John think C. Riley. I think John C. Riley. Oh, I'm decent. just. I'm just saying that's that's the person that I connect. I, I think with. the two of them are. are yeah. I think they're both part of like the, they're they're on the the far end of the spectrum as far as goodness. And I think yeah. you got. I'm like not saying John C. Matthew Riley is not uh, not a decent person. I'm saying he's the most. He, he's yeah. I, yeah all right. All right. Yeah. That's. How I react, and then um, <laughs> for me, when I first watched this, it was the Frank T.J. Mackey, the Tom Cruise character. In mm-hmm. rewatching it, it's mm-hmm. Jim, it's the police officer. I totally sure. agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think he's the most relatable and interesting. But Frank T.J. Mackey, I, he's he's compelling. He's the yeah. most. Com- he's incredibly compelling, and I think his journey is really interesting. So he starts mm-hmm. this movie as this chauvinist giving this presentation to a bunch of like. You can just picture that crowd, like if oh, they were, if God. they were, if they were a crowd, like um, it's very prescient in today's Gamergate. Uh, well, yeah, that's what you're thinking. I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking of just today's modern society and how we view feminism and um, yeah, like the fact that sites like Jezebel exist, or websites like Jezebel exist, and that there's this this desire to talk about feminism in a way that's never before, like. Sites like Jezebel would have such a field day on a Frank T.J. Mac- mm-hmm. Mackey character in real like life. Right. And just the idea that we still haven't quite gotten over how chauvinistic our society is in a lot of ways. Um, but he or starts, we're obsessed with how he, But he starts this movie off where he's, he is a engaging but total jerk. Mm-hmm. And then as it compels, he has his... Can to- we say what his, uh, his line is? Respect the cock? I said, I'm, I'm saying it. You can bleep it out. Yeah. You, that's you didn't say... You, you had to really that, like... Respect... <laughs> I won't say his follow-up line. <laughs> um, There's two parts of it. Yes, but the, it um, the thing I find so interesting is when his character starts to break down because he's being interviewed and this interviewer starts to break through his facade that he's carefully put into place and mm-hmm. how he's viewed by the pers- uh, by the public, when that gets broken down, I find that incredibly yes. compelling. And I yes. think that... I think that the way it is handled by Tom Cruise as an actor, and you can talk about maybe that he's being directed excellently by P.T. Anderson or whatever, but I think that is is incredible. Let's, you know, let's talk about that because I, that's one of the issues I have with the movie. Is I think, and that's when and that's when he gets to the point. By the way, I'm quietly judging. You, right, he's, he, the I, interviewer asks him all these personal questions that he doesn't, that he doesn't want to answer, answer he's and then he just her. stops talking, and then he just. She just stares at him. What are you or thinking? Or something like that. And, and uh, what am I doing? He just stonewalls the interview. Quietly. He doesn't say anything. And the intensity in Tom Cruise's eyes in that scene, it just. It's incredible. Oh, come on, Frank. What are you doing? What am I doing? Yeah. I'm quietly judging you. 
good. And I've said oh it before. God. I said it at Top Gun. I think I've said it other times. I think Tom Cruise is a great actor. Yeah, he's a phenomenal he actor. And I, and I think like, and this is a scene that I think was really made for him in his. Um, I think as we know him today, I think this is one of those roles that like, how do we not see that coming? Because I feel like it's, it's so when he's after the show and he's sitting there in his box and his briefs and he's, he's like, just he's like flipping around. around and he's, and he's oh like, his, his, they're, they're stuffed and he's, I assume they're stuffed. I don't know. And he's just walking yeah, around just he's, like, whoa, and he's like he's, pantomiming he's sex or in the room. or something. He's semi-engorged. <laughs> oh, so he's like sitting there miming just like, ooh, yeah. And he's like hip thrusting everywhere. You're like, this is insane. Yeah. But here's the thing. But I, Okay, so my issue with him is I, I think they had such a great job with his character and his back, why he is the way he is, I think it's almost perfect. I think that it'd be more appropriate if his backstory was that his mother walked down and his father, he had to take care of his father and his father died. Mm-hmm. I think he has this weird, like, is, like I, I don't know why he is so, for his father walking out on him, I would expect him to be the opposite, an anti-chauvinist of mm-hmm. like hating men because men walked out and abandoned his wife, abandoned his mother who he had to care for. I feel like he sympathizes with his mother and hates his father. So why would he want to become more of this? Or is it because he's so frustrated and so angry? He's like, fine, I'm going to do this too. Like, I think it's a stronger case to have him do the opposite, where his father was the bad guy. He vilifies his father versus women. Yeah, Cause think I don't that, know. He understands women as his mother who was suffering with cancer as his father abandoned them. And he had yeah, to take I, care I, of her. I, I see what you're saying. I think it's very, it's, it doesn't fit with the character for him to become so callous and so... Well, I think that the human psyche is interesting in the way we um, react to things. And my argument against what you're saying is it's almost a way like getting back at the dad. Like you wanted to be a jerk. I don't care either. F it. This is like I'm stronger than you. I'm stronger than everyone in my life. If my if like my father abandoned women, I can abandon them even worse and but that, in more in more brutal ways. But it doesn't. I think that that would be more of the case if he didn't take care of his mother. I think that is a very different character. I feel like if you sit there and watch your mother suffer and die of cancer, taking mm-hmm. care of her, you would side on the woman. You would actually turn and say like you know like men are poison. They leave women. We have. So here's my. I guess maybe here's my response to that is that uh, you don't you don't know how. You're going to react to something, especially something as, as horrible as your father leaving you while your mother's dying of cancer. I mean, that's pretty right. bad, right? So you don't, I mean, to me, Tom Cruise's character came off as like one of the most insecure people that you could you could ever become, right? Yeah, he's the, he's absolutely the most insecure and he puts on this persona to make Wait, up Wait, you said that at first you feel that way or you said like as the movie goes on? You no, I'm saying it. it yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's, that's, I, I guess that's what you, I mean, you don't necessarily know. I mean, when, I, when you see characters like that, I guess just... Having lived a life, and you know people who are like that are generally insecure. Um, the guys in the audience may not be emotionally tuned enough to know that this is a very insecure right. man who's giving me right. advice, and what am I sitting here for? Um, but I think that maybe it's a way of just um, uh, hiding. I mean, not having to deal with the emotions of going through you know horrible tragedies. So uh, is to become ang- is to become angry. I mean, that's pretty much what he is. He's a very angry man. And he's, I don't think he's just angry at women. Yeah. I think he's also angry at men. Oh, clearly so. he is. Yeah, but I think it's very, it's it's odd that he would choose to embrace, and again, it's the human psyche, but I think it's odd that he would choose to embrace that lifestyle. Well, yeah, of course. And again, it's, it's, it's odd, it's odd when anyone does. Yeah, <laughs> I just think that if, I, I, for me, if he had just tweaked right. that little thing, I think that would have been more effective. But I, as far as the character and why he is the way he is, mm-hmm. and that scene when he finally meets his father, like everything leading up to it, that when he gets the, the call... Mm-hmm. When the interviewer presses him on his past, when he actually meets his father, I think drop like, kick those dogs. Dro- oh yeah, <laughs> oh that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one scene where he shows up at the at the door. You don't see him; you just hear his voice, and he's like, mm-hmm. "I will drop kick those dogs," and they come near me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think that there's a lot of interesting filmmaking things that go on in this movie. Where I mean. There's so much dynamic camera work in this mm-hmm. film, almost excessive amounts of dynamic camera work. But then there's other shots long that are shots, that are total takes. that right. are total stagnant camera work, yeah. where it's just a long shot of just people interacting. So I think that there is a lot of artistry on display here. Um, I almost feel like he P.T. Anderson is so excited to be wielding the camera this way, he doesn't know how to restrain himself. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. like he's it's like a kid who just found a new toy, right. and he's like, "But it looks so cool. We have to do it like this." Yeah. And, this um, is mine. I can I can use this. And I think that goes for the excessive length of this movie. I agree with you, Mike. That yeah. You could cut out a half hour of this movie. Um, certain sequences I feel are like the 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 sequence this time in rewatching it, where I started kind of really dissecting it and being a little bit more critical of the film. Um. Earl's death, uh, Earl's monologue, mm-hmm. where he's on his deathbed and he's just doing this long, drawn-out monologue. It's reiterating themes we already know as an audience, and it just goes on 
forever. And I was he like, he says regret a billion times. Regret, like, say it once and let, let it like, sit. I was like, we know? get it, man. People have regret. Let's yeah. like, we need to move on here. Right. <laughs> um, so there's certain sequences. This is also like, made, written, and directed by someone who's relatively young. So, you know, yeah. his perspective on the world isn't as mature as. Maybe Robert Altman was when he made shortcuts. Yeah, so I think that there is uh, a certain immaturity. I think that's a good mm-hmm. way to phrase it. That mm-hmm. is present throughout this film, which is probably due to his age at the time. And right. so how old was he when he made this? He said thirty-one. Uh, I, I want to say thirty-ish. Wow. Early thirties. Okay. Yeah, and um, which again, it's kind of like he's this t- total wonder kind. Like, mm-hmm. how do you how do you make this movie at thirty years old? How do you have enough understanding of humans and how they interact mm-hmm. with each other to make this movie? Um, my other question. So I I mentioned the line quietly judging you but you're right mike there are tons of really lines that really stick out in my head when watching this movie mm. and um i'll throw one more out and then we can go around maybe you can mention other ones the other one i'm robin will quote the movie quote the movie yeah. <laughs> well my the quote the other quote that really sticks out to me is donnie smith saying i have so much love to give and i don't know where to put it mm-hmm. and yeah. i think that is a, it almost sounds like he describes love like a disease or something yeah but like yeah. But <laughs> there's something about that that i think is a very sim- simple but eloquent way of saying uh, you know human emotion is this thing we just want to be connected to other people and we want to love other people and we want to feel special. And when you have no one to give that to and you have no one to share that with, it's a devastating feeling. Yeah. And the idea of not knowing what you can do with all the emotion that's bottled up inside because you're lonely and you're sad, I think is very, 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 very powerful. I think it's a, a, a yeah. interesting sentiment. And, I, and the way that I think that obviously – uh, William H. Macy's a great actor, so the way he yes. delivers that he's is pretty great, amazing. Great. So yeah. any other lines stuck out with you in the film? Well, I, um, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit because I think that's uh, that's an interesting character. and I, I The Donnie Smith character. Yeah, the, yeah. The old child quiz show star who right. has since... And I think like him getting braces when he doesn't need them at all, like just, just so he can be like the guy yeah. behind the bar. Well, I think like, he's gay and he wants to... He's, he's gay. He's, he's gay and he wants well, to... Well, right, obviously, yeah, yeah, obviously. But I think... I, see, I don't think it's just that. I think there's more to it than that. I think it's it's this almost like he worships this guy. He's this big, handsome guy and oh, he yeah. wants to be big, handsome too and he wants to be, res, you know, respected. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's the idea of like, I have a whole... Because I, I... This is a recurring gripe I have with movies in general and I... People throw around the word love a lot, and it's like, do you really love this guy, or are you just infatuated with this well, guy? It's, I mean, it's clearly really, just infatuation. Right, right, right. But I think, like, I think he, I understand where he's coming from. I think the idea that, like, I have all this, like, I, I'm a lonely guy. I have no friends. Like, I won a million dollars. However much he, you know, there's a shot of him in the kitchen. Yeah, when he's yeah I think it's a hundred thousand dollars in, in the, like late sixties at some point. Yeah, yeah, he's got that big giant check on the wall for mm-hmm. superior knowledge, and he's yeah, sitting yeah, there yeah. in the, the kitchen, me- complete the memo, mess. The memo does say superior. Yeah, I know. And, I, and then at the end of the movie, he ends up getting like his teeth knocked out, so he's going to need oral surgery, which yeah. is why he's obsessing right. over. Which and, is the coincidence that comes fruition with him. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of quotes. Oh, gosh, I hate. I'm going to put on the spot here. I got to think of a quote. That's that okay. I, I'll go ahead. It's, yeah, uh, go ahead there's this scene that really uh, that really stuck out for me this time, where Julianne Moore is uh, picking up pharmaceuticals. So oh. Julianne Moore's character you is. You call me lady. Yeah, well, no, no. She well, I don't, I don't know that she actually. Hey, says, uh, Mike, can you do that again? I got to get that. <laughs> uh, I think you got it. I'm pretty sure you got that <laughs> one. But it's she has this way. So this is a Julian Moore was kind of just becoming uh, like Pat uh, Healy plays the pharmacist, by the way, which I totally Pat right. Healy, the guy who plays the pharmacist, is a character actor named Pat Healy, who is starting to come into what some, else? Is, what else is he doing? He recently did a movie called um, oh. Cheap Thrills. Okay, and he stars in that film. Real quick, taking a side here, two other people you may have noticed from other films: Pat yeah. Oswalt. Um, Pat Oswalt played the scuba yep. driver. Rob in the Corddry opening. is the. Um, oh really? I missed him. Where, he where is, is he? The uh, the the show uh, director of the the game show. The one huh, he's wearing that the was hat. Rob Corddry. No, no, no. That was no, that's Adrian Coulson from X Men. Sorry. No, it's a- Agent Coulson. Sorry, Agent I Coulson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Clark Gregg. Clark, Clark Gregg. Gregg. Why, yeah, I was why like, did I say Rob wait, that's Gordon. Agent Coulson before he got assigned to Shield. That's amazing. <laughs> that's Clark Gregg. I right, apologize. Okay. Yeah, and then lots, uh, of little, lots of guys who weren't quite famous. And the uh, the gay guy in the bar that was like flipping cat. He's the dude from Wedding Crashers. He's the priest. Oh, he is. In Wedding oh, Crashers. yeah, but he's been a character. He was a character. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but I like see. I'm like, that's the same guy. Yeah, there's, there's lots of hey, it's that hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's that girl. Whatever in in this movie. And you watch this movie in 2014, in a movie that came out in 1999. Everyone. One's like, oh, they're gonna go on and have a great career, right? Yeah. Right. William well, yeah. H Macy in this point, you know, Alfred Julian Malia. Moore. I mean, Alfred Solomon. Yeah. Solomon. Oh, Solomon. Yeah. I mean, he, who I love that guy because at first you think he's like a jerk. This, yeah, you think he's like a monster. He's part of the mafia, and it's just like, oh no, he's stealing money. He's yeah. he's this really nice guy. He's yeah. getting his money stolen. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, so Julianne Moore has this scene in the pharmacy with, I guess, Pat Healy, who I don't actually know. The and, Pat um, Healy. and the way she had, she has this, uh, in a lot of movies, she has this way of speaking where there's a lot of like delays and pauses with her voice, almost as if she's like, like she can't, she can't quite breathe out the words. She can't even, yeah. And, and it's like the, the, her eyes and the way she she moves. It's just she's she's kind of a she. Well, she's definitely a mess in this movie. She's maybe Hot mess. She's maybe the most mess in this movie. You know I, what yeah. I mean? It's like Julian Moore is so drugged that's, up in this movie. That's really saying something. There's a lot of messed <laughs> yeah, up people. Yeah. In this you movie. know, I mean, but it's but she's the one who at least is wearing it the most, right? I mean, she's the way she, she talks can't keep to it together. People, yeah. She can't. She's she's uh, swearing at her attorney. She's swearing at her friends. She's yelling. She's she's getting she. She's uh, picking up pharmaceuticals and she's getting judged by the by the pharmacists. And the way she says, like, uh, I think she says, suck my dick to the pharmacist. She's like, suck oh, oh. my dick to them. You know, this is, that was one line that really stuck Dave out. Always like, Dave always likes Dave. Yeah. That's, that's, loves, a, that's a classic Dave line. Dave loves fellatio and all kinds of uh, Yeah, well, I, hey, there are references to it a lot in this movie. So what can I say? And, can um, I say that I, I actually, I, I okay. Actually, I hated her character the most. She was just irritating on a very visceral level. You didn't like Julianne Moore. This a beautiful oh, hang on. man. The way she says just certain thing, and she's whining, crying, all just like, ah, oh, shut up. However, oh my God. I will say, I, I think look, her look character who's is... a Frank T.J. Mackey fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Respect! No, so I, I think, but I will say that I think her character was brilliantly written. Is I think it's very easy, it's very cliche for her to be the... <clears throat> Gold-digging <clears throat> wife. Right, gold-digging wife. But what a great twist of irony and a way of breaking the cliche that she ends up falling in love with this man like mm-hmm. on, on his, in his last hours and she's just complete, she wants to be written out of the will she doesn't mm-hmm. want the money right like I just I, that was I think that's great writing and great character like I think that was good but yeah I agree entirely it's yeah. a very interesting take on that character okay so a couple other lines that really just stood out to me um, one I don't quite understand and maybe you can help out um, it's dangerous to confuse children with angels. Mm, what I mean, does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. All right, well, understand that. We're going we're gonna to have to make well, this. Where, where was that? Podcast. I mean, I heard, so, remember that line. So, back Donnie here. Smith is in the bar and he's talking to yeah, his old, the other that. gay old man. He's like, he's like you know, it's, it's competition. Not, it's not dangerous to confuse children with angels. And, like, he goes against that. And I don't quite. Is they're that, quoting something. They're quoting poetry. I think or, there's something to do with innocence there and the idea yeah. that. Right, right, right. Um, like, you don't want to think that children are perfectly innocent and, and these angelic yeah. creatures when they're just. I, but still, like I, I think it has something to do with also the idea they have a game show called "What Do Kids Know?" Mm-hmm. where they they're they're totally taking advantage of um, kids. I mean, they're not taking advantage of them, but they're um, they're maybe using, exploiting them a little explo- bit. There's mm-hmm. some form of ex- there's something very exploitative about yeah, that entire yeah, yeah. idea, mm-hmm. and. Um, and Clearly, it, when you won't let uh, a, a kid child go, to, go the to the bathroom, bathroom. yeah, which yeah. is um, live, yeah. So, um, and the other major major quote, which I think is. I don't know if this is on the poster or it's become a fame. I don't even know if this is Magnolia meant to this line, but we may be through with the past, but we should, past they sure as hell ain't through with us. Yeah, it does they feel say like it's a, the, they say the book says that. They're talking about the Bible. I don't think that's in the Bible. Anymore. I don't know. I don't know. But, but yeah. I do remember that line. Yeah. And uh, but I think yeah, I think that that in many ways sums up a lot of the movies. Right. The fact that, yeah, like that and and that goes with I think that you know this whole movie is Newton's third law in action. Right, every action has some type of opposite reaction mm-hmm. equal don't live, but opposite we reaction. don't live i mean if i was to try to describe magnolia the best way i could say it is we do not live in a vacuum vacuum every decision yep. we make has consequences right and and this is a movie that explores those consequences to the most minute details so every everything you say to someone and the way you, you and, say and that to somebody could not, affect their entire day and yeah, that could be yeah. that's, that's huge and we as humans live in a world with seven billion people in it right mm-hmm. and the fact that we have that power to dramatically affect people's lives mm-hmm. uh, through very simple things is I think what this movie is trying to touch upon yeah. and that how yes. all in one day it just happens to happen for all these yeah, and people I, and I think in a society where we're becoming increasingly I think separated uh, with technology and increasingly transactional with our relationship to other people I think this movie kind of hits on the fact that like we profoundly affect other people and other you know we, it's just mm-hmm. one little thing you do here will affect somebody in a grand scale mm-hmm. So here's just a random thought question. First of all, what did you guys think of Crash, the movie Crash? The, the, the Not the David Cronenberg movie. So, the, the movie that won Best Picture in 95, six years after the Paul this Haggis one. film. Yeah. Here's my issue with Crash. I think it's unfairly maligned by people, these people like ragging on it as a punching bag. I don't mm-hmm. think Crash is a terrible movie. Right, that's I, what I was saying. Um, Crash is a movie for dumb people that think 
I think dumb people think Crash is incredibly smart, uh-huh. and really smart people don't think Crash is very intelligent. Okay, yeah. And I think it falls somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's a brilliantly profound movie, but it's also not the worst thing in the world. And just right. because themes are somewhat simplistic, that doesn't necessarily make them bad. I right. my, I only get annoyed with Crash is when people talk about it as if the movie is saying something that is so profound and so amazing. Right. It's like, yeah, but we kind of know all that kind of stuff before. But as yeah, a, as a yeah. film, it's definitely not... Okay. I was definitely entertained watching. I just Crash. felt like we couldn't talk about this movie without mentioning Crash because I, that's, I, it's I almost like Crash. it's almost it's almost like the successful version of Magnolia, right? Like where it made money, it, it, won, it won the yeah. awards that Magnolia well, probably should have. I won. I think it's the mirror opposite. I feel like it's less profound than Magnolia is, but I think it had more. Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's, success, when I say yeah. successful, I mean financially and. Well, and think awards. about a movie, well, but movie, I don't think it's as deep as Magnolia's. Crash. No, no, I agree. I agree. Crash is not only a box office hit. I mean, that movie made a ton of money mm-hmm. on a very like a small like that was technically an indie film, right? It had mm-hmm. all these big names in it. But mm-hmm. the thing about Crash is like, it was the most rented DVD on Netflix. I think for like five to six years running, like mm-hmm. the top like movie, wow. like right. so a movie that like. It's a more easily digestible version it's a movie of what for the Magnolia masses. is trying to right, do. Yeah. Right, Magnolia right. Yeah. is, and this is going to sound awful, Magnolia is a movie for the elite. And that sounds yeah. terrible. Whoa. I know, it's yeah, true Yeah, well, though. it is, yeah. They're, he's totally targeting a different audience. I, I agree with you, yeah. And, and, um, and, and Crash is meant it, for you. Like, a lot of, the average Joe's like, racism is bad. You're right. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down with racism, <laughs> guys. A lot of the things that Magnolia is doing, it's very, uh, it's very similar. It's very, you know, it's saying it in very similar ways, too. Like, very blunt. You know what I mean? Like, they're both kind of I think very Magnolia blunt movies. Magnolia is more subtle, and I think it's the themes are No, no, no. More. I'm saying they're both yeah. blunt, but but Magnolia does things in, uh, I think, much bolder. There's much, there's many more, much bolder, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, and I, and I think it's working in broad strokes. It's also working in, in much broader strokes. And it's almost like he's really swinging for the fences where uh, in, in Crash, it's almost, a lot of it feels kind of safe to me. And I can't think of You're saying it's like a specifics. 10-pound sledgehammer versus a 5-pound sledgehammer. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, like, Frogs falling from the sky. Everybody's sitting. Oh the, yeah! All the magical realism in this movie, where people are sitting in the car, uh, singing along to Amy Mann's Magnolia Mansons. is definitely not an um, understated movie. It is totally in your face. No, 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 no. I, yeah, yeah, completely. And there's you know there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall. There's there's even the scene where Jason Robards, who plays Earl Partridge, the dying patriarch, uh, says something like. Um, I forget exactly how he puts it, but he basically acknowledges that this is the point in the movie where I'm the dying guy asking the nurse to go find my son. And then you have a nurse, the point where and the then, nurse is saying, right, this is the, the part nurse, of the movie where you help Philip, me out. Right, and then Philip Sorfman-Hoffman <laughs> is also kind of acknowledging. Wait, what did you call him? Like, did you just call like, Philip, Philip Sophomore Hoffman? What no, did you say? I said Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, but, when Philip but maybe, goes, maybe over you talking Philip over me. Senior, <laughs> he becomes Philip Senior Hoffman when he graduates high school. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. Nailed <laughs> <laughs> it. Got it. Got him. We got him on that one. And what about Philip Seymour Hoffman Jr.? Is there <laughs> probably out there somewhere? Anyway, um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of... And, and then, of course, the last movement of the movie that you were responding to were it's Melora... Walt, uh, Melora uh, is that her, the actress's name? Melora Walters, I think. Uh, yeah, um, I think so, yeah. Who, who is who plays the cocaine abused, uh, Claudia, uh, molested daughter? Claudia. And Claudia looks at the camera, and it's almost, it almost reminded me of that scene, the the last shot of two thousand and one, where the the star child looks at the camera, and it's like this sudden breaking of the fourth wall, where it's like this. The the, the the interesting thing about that shot, the final shot of the film, she's is, clearly looking into the camera. Oh, absolutely! But like the build up to it is so long, like it is a incredibly long take, and it's just the very last instant she right. finally admits that there's a camera there, right? And, and smiles. It, you, it's it's nice. It's really nice. I don't think I got it when I first saw it, but then I don't even think I, I saw when, that. When we, we, we talked about when I talked about it, she smiled at the end. I saw she smiled. I didn't see her looking at the camera. At the camera. She looks right at the right camera. At the camera. I, I, maybe and I just smiles. didn't. Really, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, I, almost I, like she's saying, "Audience, it's okay." Like I think I was too frustrated not being able to hear. Yeah, that what, was definitely uh, purposeful. You know, I, I know, I know. Well, see, in that scene, yes, I think in the early in the. In the intro part of the movie, I feel like you're supposed to hear what they're saying. You just right. can't or whatever. So, so the last scene, John C. Riley shows up at whatever. her house, and uh, she. You know, this is after all the frog not stuff has happened, and uh, they had a date, and and it went well, and then she kind of burned out and left because she was scared, and then she he shows up in the last scene, saying basically, "I just want to let you know that I'm going to be here for you, et cetera, et cetera." Yeah, which, listen, is, which is awesome. Yeah, again, and that's kind of what he's saying. And then you don't know it's really him until he sits down on the bed and you see his shirt and. And you, you get yeah. a better sense of what's happening. I don't know why he would, he decided to just let the music play over. I, th- I think it would have worked just as well either way. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a symbolic thing that he's just mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I want to go back and talk about Jim a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Mainly because yes. why why I like Jim so much. Mm-hmm. And why I related to him so much this time around. Because I don't think I got it the first time. 
Um, and it's the way he talks to himself in the car mm-hmm. and the way he talks to himself <laughs> as if he's on cops in the show. Cops, if he's, right? if, if he's talking to an imaginary audience that doesn't exist right. for him. Yeah. Right. Another fourth wall kind of thing going. Yeah. yeah but yeah. like yeah. for any other movie, I would think that just wouldn't work. But for that character, I found that so humbling because I think that all of us have those moments where we just want to talk about like, we're trying to do good. This is what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. And like I talk to myself like that sometimes. So, you know, I know that sounds weird, but like, Maybe like, in your head, like you're saying, Ivan, uh, you could do this better or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's just like there's something about that that I find uh, very relatable. Mm-hmm. And um, this desire, like, I'm doing good things and I want to try to keep working hard and do mm-hmm. good things. And people yeah. are people are There's good something like and very innocent redeem- about it. Like, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like a yeah. little kid just like kind of like, oh, I'm going to be a hero someday. I want to do good, you know. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can't help but feel bad for the guy. He's like a little bit of a bumbling. He lost his gun and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm a laughing stock now. And like... Mm-hmm. And he's just like, but the guy is just really trying to do his 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 best, and I'm like really protect. He like looks out for people. Like he's just on all of his jobs. He's like, I think my favorite scene is where he's talking to the kid. The kid starts rapping mm-hmm. and dropping curse words. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Whoa, Bucko, <laughs> the watch language. the lip. lip. I don't need that language. Like, yeah. Just really like upright citizen. Like, hey, whoa, that's really when we were talking like really about endearing. lines before. I was gonna mention the one line where he's. Uh, in in Claudia's apartment, and he's and he's like, oh, I don't want to have to come back here to report a one eight seven. And she's and she, I think she says, "What's a one eight seven? And he's like, it, "It's not good." And then later on, she <laughs> makes a joke. She's like, "Oh, maybe I'll get a one eight He's like, "No, no, you don't joke about that." Like, Which I'm guessing is a homicide. Uh, yeah, thing, yeah probably like yeah. that. Um, or and, and even like when he's talking about the music, just the way he say it, it, was, it was echoes of Steve Brule. Have you seen his role as Steve Brule? The uh, on Tim, Tim and Eric, Eric show, yeah. no. it's like, hey, you know the the the, the, the volume is so loud. It's just it's making people you know hurt their ears. It's very important you keep your your volume at a comfortable listening level. Like it's <laughs> yeah. just like you know I like to rock out too every once in a every while. Every so often I'll go a little crazy, but it's important that you you're mindful right. of your neighbors. He's, um, he's like the dad, you know, in a, in a weird way, like your your nerdy but good intention dad. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. There's something sweet and innocent about with a great, how with, a great with a mustache. He's got a mustache. It's just it's great, you know. And um. Yeah, and like they start the movies, you know, he's on a dating service and he wants to meet somebody and he wants to share his life with somebody. Right. Yeah. This is a person who has been divorced or his wife died. We don't. We don't know. But he he was married. Right. Right. Yeah. That's true. I didn't think his wife because he says on his on this date. I would always assume it was divorced too, and I don't know why I went there, but (laughs) yeah, I assumed I assumed as well. Yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, the other character we haven't mentioned him at all. And I think we should. It's worth talking about the Stanley character, and he's this young kid. Yeah, who's yeah in, he's I say one of the more main characters. Oh, he's definitely yeah. one of the main characters. Jeremy the Blackman is the actor, the and it's crazy. I think he gives an amazing performance in this film, and he never really. I don't think he's gone on to do a whole lot after this movie, but I think he does a great job in this film. Um, uh, what do you think about his relationship with his father? Um, I mean, what is he? I, I guess he doesn't. He's a character that doesn't quite get redemption at the end because he the stands. Father? He stands up to his father. He stands yeah. up to him, but he doesn't get anything out of it. And no, 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 no. But his son, though. But his son, I think, actually does it, though. I think his journey is standing up to his father. And I think yeah, I would say... I, I would agree so just the him. moment of saying, of you him, have to be nicer to me? Yeah, pushing back. And, and the fact that he just kind of like throws the whole competition on national television. And he sees all the frogs mm-hmm. flying out in the window. And he's like very happy that like... I guess he kind of looks at it as like, hey, anything could happen like... Yeah, this is actually happening. Like he's having more of a his character has more of like a spiritual quiet transition yeah, yeah. At, the, at the end. You know, it's like he's he goes from this. He at the beginning of the movie, he doesn't really respond to his father. He just kind of like does what his father says, right? He just does everything everybody says, and then his character change. That that's the character change. I don't know if it's redemption, but it's it's. Uh, but no, I, mean, it, I think it's, everybody it's like has a, a positive. Like they make a choice that is like if he just kind of went about his business and just kept going, like, you know, stayed in the cycle. I would say. It wouldn't be. in his own way. It's redemptive. His his journey was to kind of overcome his father, and you know. And if he weren't to have gone through that one change, at least on this day, maybe he would have become more like some of these more poisonous, toxic characters, Donnie, like uh, whatever his name Donnie is, Donnie or T.J. Mackey or whoever. Right, I mean. right. So we're, I think we're trying to think that this is a person who's gonna like. He's uh, gonna make it. He's gonna be maybe, right. maybe. Yeah, he's, or at least he's gonna try to look out for himself a little bit more. Yeah. Than, some of these other characters. And the, uh, the last thing I want to talk things. about, and I still don't quite get this part of the movie, and it's the worm. So you guys want to talk about the worm but, at all? Let's talk about the worm. And I, you said, so hang on. Actually, why don't you prime us on that? You said there's a part that was cut so out. So I or... believe there's an entire character, the worm, who is Marcy's child, son, 
who is responsible for the dead body in the uh, apartment that John C. Riley's character was Oh, out oh, yes. Yeah, because there's yes. at one point where the gun is on the floor and a guy in the brown... So there's a guy in the brown jacket that picks up the little black kid. Mm-hmm. And then later, he picks him up and brings him somewhere. You don't know where it's and going. I believe and that later guy on, is the worm. Yeah, right, right. I think, right. I think he also th- picks up the gun on the floor after John C. Riley drops it. Okay. Um, and I'm guessing that the interconnection there... When he's doing his rap, I think he's telling John C. Riley that his... Hey, this is my brother, brother is doing or whatever it is. Let me look. I'm gonna look this up. Continue. Carry on. But that I think that, and I think that's the larger plot uh, issue. The, the problem is in, in, in introducing John C. Riley's character, we spend a lot of time in Marcy's apartment, and she doesn't really come back in a way that's meaningful in the movie. So is Marcy the character that's yelling at him? Yes. Saying, that, that ain't mine. <laughs> <laughs> he handcuffs that ain't her to the couch, and she's when bringing she's the dead body. Don't go in there. Hey, well, you leave that couch where it is, man. It's <laughs> just. Yeah. Um, that's funny. I didn't think too much about about. This particular scene, but that but following I, the scene, but, but the, I think that the the larger problem with that is that they devote a lot of screen time to something that doesn't have a huge payoff in the film hmm. because she you see her being booked and uh, I felt like it was just to introduce this kid who ends up waking up Julianne Moore and calling nine one one and I mean that's but so much right. easier ways to do that yeah, yeah I, I guess so <laughs> uh, yeah. you could have just had John C Riley sitting around like there is definitely a whole plot with this gangster character who's going around that is somehow interconnected with these other characters and it would be even more interesting if he, if he was selling drugs to Claudia which I think there's something to do with him selling the cocaine to mm. Claudia that she's like I, I don't yeah, know yeah, there, there's I, definitely I, a connection there I didn't watch as much behind the scenes stuff as I usually do in movies so I don't know Slack, probably Dave. probably I did actually when the DVD originally came out but I don't remember it I do remember there was a long documentary with Paul Thomas Anderson and Fiona Apple was his girlfriend at the time and, and uh, now he's married she to Maya featured. Rudolph yeah yeah like five kids Five kids? No, like three or something. Three, okay. I only know this because she was wheeling... He does it. everything in these big, broad streets, even the, kids. I, I saw... I actually saw... We got 50 kids. I saw uh, Maya Rudolph with a dual stroller uh-huh. at the Austin Film Festival last year. Uh-huh. And everyone, like, she was... Um, because Paul Thomas Anderson was at the film festival. Yeah. And she's wheeling her stroller... <laughs> And all of a sudden, some guy's like, hey, it's Maya Rudolph. And all of a sudden, she just starts running and taking off. She doesn't want to deal with talking <laughs> oh, to people. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. So my image is her just running with the stroller to get to an elevator before this person can bother her. Wow. With her two future geniuses. <laughs> two future geniuses. <laughs> Likely. Um, so. Um, one other thing I wanted to, well, one thing I did want to mention is I, I like the little cameos in this movie that uh, a, a couple other, hey, it, it, it's that guy. One, the father of the. Uh, uh, the, the child genius Stanley was Michael Bowen, who played uh, the villain on Breaking Bad. Uh, Uncle Jack, the Nazi guy. Oh, Any Breaking Bad fans. Sorry, you're busy. I was reading about the worm. And the worm. I, I just well, well out. And so the father was played by Michael Bowen, who was Uncle Jack on Breaking Bad, the uh, not the the villain. Of no the final two way, seasons. really? That was, that was him. Yeah. Oh, um, I also appreciate how Louis uh, Louis Guzman, who's who always Guzman, Guzman, Louis Guzman, Guzman, Guzman sorry, he, he's in One I think he's in a lot of uh, Paul Tom, P. T. Anderson's earlier movies, yeah. and he plays one of the contestants. He Smack plays himself. If you look at the, at the uh, credits, it says Louis Guzman, Louis, you know, as himself or whatever. He's if you watch Community, he's on an episode of Community where he apparently the, the community, the school that they're in, is mm-hmm. like. The school he went to, and they're oh. like having him come in, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's a celebrity!" They build like a statue of him. And oh, this, I think this I great that, actor. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I did it, and I, and I guess I haven't seen this movie since being a fan of Patton Oswalt, which, which I think I, I first became really aware of Patton Oswalt right, after right. after he was on the King of Queens, and that was in like 2007 or eight. So it's yeah. been a long time since I've seen this he movie. Plays the black and he plays a blackjack player who is a scuba diver who gets yeah. picked up by the plane <laughs> and dumped in the tree, and that's one of the uh, coincidences that the so that I've Ricky, often- Ricky Jay the we should also mention Ricky Jay is a famous magician who's in a lot of his movies. He's also in the film as a character. But, in the uh, film who as a game show, one of the coordinators. Oh, and guys. the game show coordinator, uh, Felicity Huffman, plays. Right, um, right. The, William uh, H. Macy's uh, wife, actually. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess uh, final thoughts I'm going to have. I want to talk about the opening a little bit. It's mm-hmm. funny that we're end- I'm ending on the opening. But uh, I think the opening. Ironic. Open- the opening is a short film in itself. Right. It's this con. It's. It's. It, the way it's edited is just holy crap! Like the amount of information he relays in such a short period of time, and the way he does it, I think is pretty phenomenal. He's, he's talking about coincidences. He's talking about coincidences, and does this movie need that? Is my question. I don't I, know. I, 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 <laughs> I like it, but I don't know I, if it needs I it. I absolutely love that opening. It gives me chills every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. Does it? 
Does it contribute? Does it, does it contribute? Does it, is it adding to the movie, or is it, it just Paul Thomas Anderson being having fun? I don't know. Sniffing I, his own I, farts. I think it's more of a sniffing his own farts kind of thing, but it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, you know I, what I mean? I don't think it hurts the movie. I, I just, just think I, I, I just like think, it because you know I think it sets the stage of like. Uh, you know that the, the crazy coincidences happen, and they must happen for some kind of reason, or there's some kind of meaning in them. Like it's not. Can this just be random coincidence, or is it justice? Is it some kind of you know so the just divine the, intervention the or whatever? General like idea that life has meaning. Like everything. I, I you know in some way I think it's good because I think he primes us for like, hey, crazy shit happens, mm-hmm. and it's gonna happen. And it's gonna happen in this movie without us knowing it. It's like it, crazy stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Just digest that. But then he doesn't really tie any of those instances into anything specific. That well, I think he in the does. Movie. I think with I mean, the fact that everybody's connected in some way. No, maybe like none of those guy. stories, like the the kid getting shot after committing suicide. Again, it's just the roof. I think it's, I think yeah. it's the idea of like coincidences in general and how people are connected and like raining frogs at this point shouldn't freak you out. Because because people get shot out of windows when they try to kill themselves. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, I mean, just the way... He, um, I mean, this movie's far too verbose. I'll agree with you that, Mike. But there's certain... Ca- the way that lines are read and said and written in certain interesting ways. Like, even in that opening with Ricky Jay's narration, the way he says, and no, it cannot just be by chance. Like, the way he says yeah, that is just... Just such, be by chance. And it's yeah. like, strange things happen like this. All the time, and the way that it snaps to the opening, I think it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't even know how you direct that. Is that just Ricky Jay being awesome, or is it I just, don't I don't know, it's almost like he's reading poetry or something yeah. like that? It was like, it was like prose, and he was just kind of reading an iambic pentameter or something, or like Captain Kirk. Mm. Oh, the last character we didn't talk about uh, before we close out Jimmy Gator. The, oh, the yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What Phil, are your thoughts Phil on him? Is he a child molester? <laughs> well, yeah. I think he's a yes. drunk who probably did crazy stuff when he was drunk. And I think that's like, yeah. in some way, I, I feel bad for the guy because I think he is he's pathetic. He's dying. He's this aging game show host. He's washed up, right? So, in some way, you feel bad for him. And the thing is, I feel like it's one of those things that, like, is he actually a child molester? No, I would classify him. Oh, I mean, yes, ultimately, yeah. because he touched his daughter, right? Right. We but don't I know think what he did, more but we assume it's, it's really bad. It's insinuated that yeah. he did. Right, right, right. But I think he, it's more of, I, I don't think he actually did that, like, premeditate, like, I want to touch my daughter. I think he became so drunk to the point where he wasn't even in control of his actions to the point where... So I think his bigger, I mean, the bigger sin here is the fact that he was an alcoholic. And I think that's very clear. He can't go on the show until he gets a couple mm-hmm. of drinks in him first. So I think that is, like more of his issue is that he he kind of screwed up in this one area and that led to just bigger problems down the road for him you know mm-hmm. but at the same time i'm sure he knew it he never stopped doing it you know but at the same time i'll say this i hate seeing suicides i really do i hate seeing people kill them i was relieved when a frog came down and knocked <laughs> really? a gun out of his hand yeah huh i don't because i just don't you know i, I I'm, I'm i'm different i think for most people i don't like seeing people i don't care who they are i don't like seeing people suffer i don't like seeing people die mm-hmm. even if they're like these horrific awful people because I feel like everyone at some point has there's a path that took them there yeah. no one starts out saying like alright I'm going to grow up to be a child molester right well I mean, you know yeah I mean I don't think I would for instance wasn't really cheering for him to kill himself I mean it's almost yeah. like it's a more of a punishment to have to live with it right I mean and right, to, exactly. to die painfully yeah, yeah. which they show with uh, Jason Robart's character They're like wow that really sucks I mean it's like an advertisement for death with dignity to actually commit, you know be able to control when you, you actually die because this who is this sucks well, the, uh, Jason Robards, the Earl Partridge character, dying in bed. Uh, Tom Cruise's Yeah, there's father. something to be said about the fact that he he didn't kill himself. I think the fact that there was more, he had more in his life. What I'm saying is that it, it looks bad. I mean, it makes it no, look I, really I disagree. bad. I, I disagree. In a, in a compl- I think it's the fact that he stayed alive. And he, there were things that were obviously weighing on him that he wanted to resolve before he died. And I think he was able to do that and to a degree. Not even for himself. I, I think for his son. I think his son was, it was comp- incredibly um, right. cathartic yeah. for... T.J. Mack would be able right. to face well, his father, yeah. and but even for his, fa- his father but, at that point was like already on morphine and really wasn't experiencing much of it. Yeah, but they, the they do show this moment like, where they connect, but that's because of the falling frogs out of the sky, which typically wouldn't happen in someone's actual, you know, end of life experience. Oh, I don't think it really affected him. I don't think the falling frogs really affected the father at much. That, that was my impression. There was a scene at the end of he the was movie. Kind there of was a scene during that where. where, where I don't. They have a. They have that moment. The dogs before, start before they have a moment before the frogs start yeah, falling. They yeah, look yeah. at each other. I think at and that point sequence, he's, he's already right? been giving given this morphine. Uh, but it's like this moment of clarity where they both kind of see each other. Right. And, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's this moment in of clarity fact, that happens during the frog falling, which typically wouldn't happen 
you know, you know, during and like I said, end of life experiences. You wouldn't, uh, you don't normally have those moments of clarity. I would. No, I, would I disagree. I think, in fact, I think yeah, his, his end of life I've, sickness I've, I'm sorry, was. Guys, I've never died before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why don't you go die and we'll get to discuss it afterwards? Yeah. But no, I think I would. I would, I would argue the, the opposite. I think because his 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 coming to terms with mortality over a long period of time forces him to look at his life, mm-hmm. and that's why he's able to. In fact, I would argue that when he sees on the morphine and he's mm-hmm. less in pain, mm-hmm. he becomes less of himself. I think his his coming to terms with his life and his disease mm-hmm. is what is one of the turning points of the movie. That's why I say I think I, I would argue the opposite. You, if he if if he just said I'm going to die and he took a pill and he was dead within you know five minutes into the movie, right? There would be a very different. I think he wouldn't have Seymour Philip Seymour Hoffman's role. He wouldn't have T.J. Mackey's. Well, redemption. don't you think this movie makes the process of dying look horrible? Awful. Like horrible. I think it makes the process of life look awful. I think that's well, just how it is. But I think, but specifically, in, but that's in what I character. like is that I think it takes it looks at the ugliness of life and it puts good things in it. Like there's there's you can find good in all of these awful situations. There's good to be found. Right. I agree. I mean, so you're saying even in dying, there's good to be found. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would agree. I would agree with that. But yeah. I mean, dying painfully just looks. Painful. It looks very painful. Everything looks painful. Yes. Everything, everyone in this movie looks painful, living or dead. That's yes. why I think, like, yes, but it's almost like I said. For me, what I took away from that was that uh, you know, it's 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 nice to be able to control, and I and I guess he does kind of, or at least his wife does. I just um, don't want to start a crippling cocaine addiction. I know that. Yes, uh, that too. <laughs> that's there you go. Well, that's something you don't <laughs> want. All agree on that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Any final thoughts on Magnolia as we kind of close out this podcast? It's, I um, mean, this is a movie where we're gonna miss stuff. It's, it's just there's too, it's much too much to, to talk cover. About in a minute. In yeah, yeah. No, I, I think we covered a, a large portion. I think, and I, I this is a movie again. I, I'd put it on a shelf for sure. In fact, yeah. I'd, I'd like to. Do more it, research. It's on cheap it, on Blu-ray. It's like eight bucks on Blu-ray. I bought yeah, it. And that's how I watched. They're it. giving away Blu-ray. Everything is streaming now. They're <laughs> just giving have, away Blu-ray. I would have liked to have seen it in HD. That would have yeah. been cool. So, so I, didn't watch I have it, it if you want to borrow it. So yeah, um, yeah. Was, this is a good. I, I, uh, yeah, we're who all, recommended we're this movie? Who? What, what genius decided to watch this one? Because man, no, I mean, I, great pick. I'm glad Paul I, Thomas Anderson is a great director with a lot to say, and I, you know, I look forward to seeing just about every movie he makes. I want to see Punch Drunk Love, and I want to see There Will Be Blood. I feel like opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely, and. I wasn't a fan of the master. I found the master to be just him sniffing all the farts. Like, all of them. <laughs> well, like he yeah. had a giant jar just I, labeled farts, and he just got real yeah, in there. I, I disagree. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe my second. Uh, I don't know. I don't really dislike any of his movies. So you I can't. Okay, here's my issue with the master, and I don't want to get too much on a tangent. You cannot show that movie to anyone, and they're ne- no one's going to sit and watch that movie and be like, "This is that was a real enjoyable theatrical experience." <laughs> no. I really enjoyed watching that. I'm like yeah. with Magnolia. I really enjoyed sniffing that movie. No, but with Magnolia, I would. <laughs> argue that you can there you can be like yeah i enjoyed that because i got a lot out of that what about there will be blood i think that there will be blood is an interesting character study i think uh-huh. that movie falls into similar problem problems because i just don't find sociopaths that interesting hmm. like i have a hard time getting into watching sociopaths on screen. yeah i, I, think I have a hard time getting down with that them movie looks that out. movie looks amazing the yeah. way it's shot is amazing it's incredibly well performed i think it's got my favorite ending line of a movie ever because okay. it's it's more than like oh you don't want to tell Mike yeah, yeah. don't tell me oh, I but, really want to know what it is though because you're like because laughing it's so, because it's so it, it, it breaks the fourth wall but it doesn't break the right. fourth wall and like, there's a lot to admire about that film I'm not gonna I, I can't I can't I can't uh, fault it in that way but I just I can't I don't want to ever revisit that movie it's just it's like really okay. I don't want to I don't want to stay with these people ever again <laughs> uh, okay. oh you mean the master or, or both mainly the master and there will be blood for similar reasons I think he's getting more misanthropic the more movies that's, he makes yeah that's the thing Everyone, so ugh. I'm interesting to see uh, Inherent Vice which is about to come out right because that seems like a zany madcap comedy. Right. So. <laughs> I think that's been getting mixed reactions at the, uh, at the time we're recording this podcast. So, so um, currently, while we're recording this, there are people giving it mixed reviews. And the reviews. reason I like a movie like Punch Truck Love is that's a movie about redemption and happiness. I, mean, I love good. that. I want to see that movie. And it's Adam it Sandler. also has Adam the most. Sandler. It has the most. Mo- most, 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 it's, it's the only Adam Sandler movie I like. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> that's, that's incorrect, but um, it has. Oh. That, how do you know what I like? That's the only one I like. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, it's uh, that film was my one of my favorite climaxes of any movie, and one of the most cathartic fight scenes of any movie ever. Oh, <laughs> I need to see this movie. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, he's a, he's obviously an incredibly talented filmmaker, and I'm glad we watch Magnolia again because in my college innocence I thought this was the greatest movie ever made mm-hmm. and there will never be a better movie than this movie mm-hmm. and in watching it now I can see its flaws but they're still a very powerful and oh, yeah, yeah. film so I want to make an announcement yeah in six weeks we're watching Punch Drunk Love okay <laughs> plan accordingly <laughs> block just, out your calendars you're just staying on a P.T. Anderson kick <laughs> right. I just want to check it out 
It's a good movie. Um, so what are we doing next? Um, it's my choice. Uh, Michael Keaton is getting a lot of play right now because he's making this big, uh, flashy comeback with uh, Alejandro uh, Gonzalez Iñárritu's film, <laughs> Birdman. Birdman. So I want to do uh, uh, Tim Burton's Batman. The original <laughs> Batman. <laughs> the original Batman. That's awesome. Okay, seriously, what are we, what are we doing next weekend? We're doing that oh, one. Yeah. So that's going to be our next oh. episode. Um, I was going to think about doing Beverly Hills Tim Cop. Tim Burton's Batman, but... directed by Christopher Nolan. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to do uh, Batman Mr. Begins. Mr. Crowland. <laughs> uh, we're going to do uh, Batman and Robin, starring George Clooney. <laughs> the yes. classic film. Ratman and Bobbin. <laughs> <laughs> but this... Uh, All right. Now you've All had right. too much bourbon. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I had enough. My final closing out statement... Uh, well, actually, Mike, where can, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> you could, That's the closing statement. <laughs> uh, That's come, a good one. We I'm can gonna, wrap it. I think I'm we're a, good. I'm going to come back, but Mike, where can we find you? Right, I've been, before Ivan's grandiose comeback, uh, you can find me on the, uh, Twitter, on the Twitter, at MikeMirandi.com. What? What? At MikeMirandi on Twitter <laughs> or MikeMirandi.com. You just combined Maybe them. Maybe I have too much bourbon. I have like half a... Like, you created a uh, portmanteau of your... Uh, I did. Of you your, find me at MikeMirandi.com. There you go. <laughs> it's a portmanteau of your online persona. Go, Dave. Uh, Dave Glanz on Twitter, G-L-A-N-Z, and DaveGlanzProductions.com. Um, and I'm at Ivan Kander on Twitter. I write for a website called ShortOfTheWeek.com, and my website is LuckyNineStudios.com. Do you think there are people out there that go to Ivan Kander with a C instead of a K? Um, you should maybe. say K. Uh, well, that my whole life, people have been spelling my name with the C. They might and be you, going C A N D O R. And let me like tell honesty. you, let me tell you, you're a moron if you do that. My name is spelled K N D. You should freaking know that. This is Ivan Kander we're talking about. You should just about. know that because I'm so popular and so big on the internet. Well, so you I should know just that. know that. But the internet. Um, but my one thing I will say about Magnolia is I, uh, this affected me very profoundly when I was in college. My second screenplay, feature screenplay I've ever wrote. Was totally ripping off Magnolia. It's a character. It's a movie that can uh, interconnected movie of seven different characters all taking place within the same thirty minute time period. Was uh, it called Rooted Engine? Was no. it called Time was, Code? Was it called? Uh... It was called <laughs> Tulip. Uh, it was embarrassingly called Lightning Rod. That was the name of the movie. Uh-huh. If you want, if you want to read the screenplay, I'll send it to you. It's terrible. Uh, so, so Lightning like Rod, a porn star. Yeah, that was yeah. It was all about a porn girl named Lightning Rod. That's actually my porn name when I did porn in the uh, late nineties. Oh, so good, that's great! Weird. You should check it out, David. It's, it's yeah, just it's art. Good. It's yeah. definitely film versus movie. Yeah, yeah. It, well, striving art, to be. striving to be <laughs> art. <laughs> a lot of fart sniffing in that. Uh, so uh, until next, time. <laughs> <laughs> God, let's wrap it up, folks. Yeah, let's wrap next, it up. Until next time, you can find us at reviewedpodcast.com and at facebook.com/slash reviewedpodcast. We will be watching Tim Burton's Batman, much to Mike's chagrin. Uh, and until next time, we will be quiet. So much chagrin. We will be quietly judging you. Wait, oh, who that was are a you? Thank you, Mike. I'm Batman. <laughs> okay. I'm Batman. What are you? I'm Birdman. What? Batman, um, the nineteen eighty nine version. The year I had my bar mitzvah. Opened shortly thereafter my bar mitzvah. Did you have a nipple suit for your bar mitzvah? Or no? no, 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 no. Again, it was before they were in vogue, right? Pre nipple suit. No one was doing nipple suits. It was also the same summer that Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out. <laughs> Just the way you said, um, no one was doing nipple suits back then. <laughs> no, not, it not was a pre nipple suit oh, environment. At least, not Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs>